Good morning. Interesting to be invited up rather than being the one who's doing the inviting. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 7. And as we consider being here together on this beautiful day and being with each other, church family, we've got so many things to be thankful for and so many nice things or treats to enjoy and fellowship. And on a time like this, when it's a joyful occasion, it's sometimes maybe far away from our minds to think about the problems that are in this world, the trouble that's in this world, even the trouble that we have in our own worlds, um, issues, family trouble, various types of pain. And you start to ask the question, well, what's wrong with this world? What's the problem with this world? Is it moral evil, murder, theft, deception, natural evil, hurricanes and earthquakes and tsunamis, relational evil, trouble, strife with, with loved ones? There's death and suffering. Those things are all part of what we experience in this world, and, and there's a lot of darkness. And you have to ask the question, how did it come to be this way? Where did it all start? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning in Genesis chapter 3, the fall, as it's recorded for us in God's Word. So let's pray and and we'll read. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to be here this morning to worship you, to look at a passage of Scripture that has so much impact on this world. So much has happened in this world, horrible things, evil things, wicked things that all started in the garden. Lord, we we are familiar with this passage. We understand it to some degree, but we know, Lord, that there's more here than than we've come to, to glean from it. We pray that your spirit would shine a light on this passage, open our minds and our hearts Help us to see it more clearly, to understand its implications for us this morning. And we ask that you would bless us as we look at your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. 
And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Amen. This is God's holy word. The outline this morning, the questions that we're going to seek to answer is what happened in the garden? We'll explore the text. What should have happened? What did Jesus do? Not what would Jesus do. What did, what did Jesus do? We'll look at his temptation. And then what should we do? So first, what happened in the garden? Well, this is an introduction of sin that God gives us in the Bible with regard to mankind. We could ask the question about Satan and Satan's fall, but that's not the focus of this sermon. God does give a little bit of information about Lucifer falling on account of his beauty and pride, but we don't have a lot of information about the fall of Lucifer. So we're going to start here with the fall, where God starts with the fall in his revelation to us in Genesis 3. So notice a few things in verse 1. The serpent. We're introduced to the serpent. We understand that Satan took the form of a serpent rather than being an actual serpent or a snake. Satan is an angel, a fallen angel, and not a reptile. The serpent is introduced as crafty or subtle, or in some translations, cunning. The Hebrew word that's translated as crafty is a word that's found seven times in the Old Testament. That word is found here in Genesis 3.1 and then six times in the Proverbs. In the Proverbs, it's translated as prudent. Prudent. Prudent means to act or show care and thought for the future. And to say someone is prudent is usually a compliment. But for an enemy to be prudent would mean that the enemy is smart and formidable. Satan's prudence or craftiness would mean something like thoughtfulness and skill in achieving one's goal, and that goal was evil. Verse 1 also says that the Lord God made the serpent. We don't have here a yin and yang idea of good and evil. We don't have two eternal beings, one good being God and one evil being Satan. Satan is a creature, dependent and derived from God, created good to be sure, and then turned evil, but created by God and subject to the sovereignty of God. So speaking of this, God's sovereignty, we should recognize that this gathering in the garden of Satan and Eve and Adam was ordained by God. This get-together, this meeting was not an accident. This is something that God put together. God wanted this meeting to occur. Think of it as a testing scenario that God put Adam into. The serpent initiates the conversation and he addresses the woman. The woman is the weaker vessel, 1 Peter 3.7, and part of the craftiness of Satan is to attack at the weak point. This was deliberate. He spoke to Eve on purpose. And the question he asked was also deliberate. Look at where the enemy goes to attack mankind. Did God actually say? This is an attack 
a crafty attack on the Word of God. How many crafty attacks do we see on the Word of God in our day? There are too many to list, but they're everywhere. I've heard attacks on the Word of God even from so-called Christians. Maybe you've been guilty of that in some fashion. Do you know where that comes from? From the devil. When people question the word of God, they are acting like the devil. Now, I should make a distinction. It's one thing to question the word of God in the sense of questioning to try to understand it more clearly. That's not of the devil. What I'm, what I'm saying is to question the truthfulness, the veracity of the word of God. That's what Satan did, and that's what he wants humans to do. Now observe the craftiness of the question itself. Did God say that you can't eat of any tree in the garden? God didn't say this, and so why would Satan ask it? Perhaps to get Eve to think that if God put any of the trees off limits in the garden, he may as well have put them all off limits. God is the kind of being that wants to limit Eve's choices. And if he limits them at all, then he might limit all of them and take away all of Eve's freedom. Perhaps this is what Satan is trying to impress upon Eve. Eve's reply to Satan corrected Satan's mistake, but the interaction this far may have done exactly what Satan wanted it to do. Eve also adds something, saying that God forbade the touching of the tree. Now, if you think through this, the instruction about the forbidden tree was given to Adam and not to Eve. Read Genesis 1 and 2. But God didn't say not to touch it. All he said was not to eat of it. Adding to God's word is a sin, Deuteronomy 4.2. And so I don't think Adam added that when he communicated the restriction to Eve. I think Eve added it in her dialogue with Satan. And so we see her starting to slip up. Um, as a side note, and we'll get into more of this later, why isn't Adam stepping in to correct the serpent? We know that he's there. Verse 6 says that he was there, quiet, and allowing the serpent to go to work on his wife. Now that might be something that's convicting to us husbands. It, it convicts me. Have we ever been guilty of standing by while some attack, some form of attack is happening to our wives? Would we not speak up if we saw something? Now the serpent, likely feeling that the hook was set with Eve, he goes in for the direct attack. You will not surely die. God says you will surely die. Satan says you will not surely die. Should Eve trust God's word or Satan's word? That seems like just two different choices. Or should she evaluate them both, weigh them, and come up with her own decision? That's an option too, isn't it? Should she think for herself? Maybe God wasn't telling her the truth. Satan continues, God knows that if you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Eve, if you eat the fruit, you'll be like God. 
The truth is that if she would eat the fruit, she would be like Satan. The lure and temptation is to be like God. And that was the sin that Lucifer fell into. And he sets that same trap before Eve. Listen to verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Eve heard Satan's words and started the process of considering them while she looked at the fruit. The fruit looked like good food, it was a delight to the eyes, and the fruit promised to make her wise, and she took from it and ate. Now, God made food and made us with a desire to get hungry and to want food. God made beautiful things and made us with a desire to see and to possess beautiful things. God pours forth wisdom and made us with a desire to gain wisdom. But this is God's world, and we are his creatures, and we must approach food and beauty and wisdom on his terms. Eve was approaching these things on the devil's terms. She ate and she gave some to Adam and he ate. Again, Adam was there watching his wife disobey God and didn't say a thing. Adam was the target. He's the head of the whole human race. It's Adam who's the head of the human race. Adam's fall cast the whole human race into sin. Romans 5.12. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Satan needed to get Adam to sin and he went through Eve to do it. God made Adam to love and to protect his wife, and at that point, he utterly failed. Verse 7 says that their eyes were opened, and I want you to notice something here, something that helps us to see that it was Adam's fall that plunged mankind into sin. There was a period of time after Eve ate the fruit and before Adam ate the fruit. I don't know how, how short of a period of time or how long of a period of time it was, but there was some period of time when Eve had eaten and Adam had not yet eaten. Eve didn't start getting embarrassed about her nakedness until after Adam ate. It seems that Eve didn't experience the effects of the fall until the federal head of the human race, her husband, fell into sin. If she had started to experience the effects of sin, being bothered by her nakedness, then Adam would have witnessed that and perhaps refrained from eating himself. Do you see the situation? Eve is there and she takes a bite of the fruit and, and nothing changes. She doesn't say, ah, I'm naked. And she doesn't go running for the fig leaf, for fig leaves. She just stands there and nothing happens. 
And then after Adam eats, now they both recognize they're naked. So it was Adam's fall that, that because Adam was the head of Eve, it was Adam's fall that cast Eve into, into sin as well. <clears throat> after the fall, they both gained a sinful and ungodly experience with good and evil. Now, this might shock you, but it's not a sin to know or understand good and evil. God knows and understands it. And if Adam and Eve had withstood the temptation of the devil, they could have known about evil without knowing evil experientially by participating in it. But that's not how it went. They became fallen when Adam ate, and the naked bodies that the good Lord gave them, which nakedness was nothing to be ashamed of, became an immediate problem. Adam and Eve ruined their fellowship that they had with God, and they ruined the fellowship and the intimacy that they had with each other. They went right away to cover their nakedness with fig leaves. And it probably should be noted that fig leaves would not be a permanent covering, and it seems that they wouldn't do a very good job of covering your nakedness anyway. So that's what happened in the fall. We asked the question, well, what should have happened? How should it have gone? Well, we have to remind ourselves again that the meeting with Adam and Eve and Satan was something that God had ordained. God wanted it to happen. It was a test for Adam. So when we ask what should have happened, we don't want to say that Adam and Eve should have run away from the serpent. God brought a serpent, a dragon, for Adam to deal with. Adam should have taken charge, protected his wife, and battled the lies of Satan. What, what would that have looked like? Adam would have piped up and said, Thus says the Lord, quoting Genesis 2, 16 and 17, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. That should have been Adam's response to Satan, quoting scripture back to him. And if Satan replied to Adam, you shall not surely die, as he did in verse 4, Adam may have gone looking around for a stick, a stick good for hitting a snake, while continually reciting Genesis 2, 16 and 17. You might ask the question, well, that sounds too simple. Relying on God's spoken word as the final authority? God said Adam would surely die if he ate the forbidden fruit. Whose words would have the authority to cause Adam to doubt God's words? Should Satan's words have authority to cause Adam to doubt God's words? Or Eve's words? Or Adam's own words? God's word is the final and authoritative word that should be believed and obeyed just because it's God's word. After all, he is God. And I want us to see that this testing of our first parents was a test about ultimate authority. Think of the three parties involved in the, in the conversation or the temptation with Eve. You've got God, Satan, and Eve. God says things to Adam, which get communicated to Eve, 
And now Eve has God's words. She doesn't have them directly, not about the tree, but she has these words of God coming through her husband. They've been communicated to her and she possesses the words of God. And by the way, we also have the words of God, not directly communicated to us by God himself, but given to us through chosen men inspired by the Holy Spirit. So Eve has God's words about this tree and Eve hears Satan's words <clears throat> about this tree. And Eve starts to develop her own internal words, these thoughts in her head about the tree. Will she trust ultimately in God's words, in Satan's words, or in her own words? Notice that only one of those three options is, is not sinful. If she trusts in her own words, her own thinking, her own rationality on the topic, then she's distrusting God's words. And if she takes the, Satan, the serpent at his word, then she's also distrusting God's words. She should trust God's words. She should use the rationality and the intellect that God gave her to understand the situation rightly. Godly reasoning about the situation would have Eve thinking along these lines. God spoke to Adam about this tree, and Adam communicated those words to me. God is my creator and the standard of all truth. This serpent has just contradicted God's words about this tree, and the only rational conclusion is that the serpent is lying. I know I'm to trust exactly what God says about this tree and not this slithering serpent. And that's how godly reasoning would occur if, if she had done what she was supposed to do. Here's what sinful reasoning would look like. God told Adam something and Adam told me something about this tree. Now I have a serpent telling me something different. Let me think about this. God might be right, the serpent might be right, and I'm not sure where to go from here. The fruit looks good, and if I eat some of it, I can put this to a scientific test. I can test the hypothesis given to me by God. God says one thing. He says, this is what's going to happen if I do this. Satan says something different. I've got two competing hypotheses, and so I can put that to the test. I, I better test this. I better use my reasoning to, to test and see who's right. Well, can you see that this reasoning process already is sinful? This reasoning process is already doubting the truthfulness of God's word. This reasoning process already has Eve being the final authority for herself. Eve is failing to have a sincere and pure devotion to God and his authority. I want to read for you 2 Corinthians Chapter 11, verse 3. So where Paul says, But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. In addition to being sinful, it was foolish as well. Because if you think about this idea of her testing, testing God's word, testing Satan's word, 
She cannot put God's hypothesis about the tree to the test without risking her life. If God is right, then she's dead. And so, uh, as an illustration to think about this, let's talk about uh, electric outlets and light fixtures. Um, uh, recently, well, maybe in the last few months, I was at a, a friend's house helping with some electrical business, and I wasn't careful, and I accidentally touched a hot wire, and it um, gave me the shock of my life. <laughs> it, it does not feel good to do that. <clears throat> um, and I've done some light fixture stuff. We've, we've done things at home, changing out um, outlets and light fixtures, and when we do it at home, we're usually very careful. I, I shut off the breaker switch, and whatever hot wires are, are there, I, I have a little testing unit, and I touch the wires to make sure there's no electricity running. But if you think about that in the illustration is, what if I used my fingers to test if there was any electricity running? I'd, I'd, it'd be, I'd be a fool, because if it was running, I'd be dead. And that's the foolishness of Eve's testing of God's word. God says, if you eat of this, you'll surely die. And she says, I, I wonder if I can test that out. Well, not without dying. If, if God's right, you're dead. Okay, so that's essentially what Eve did. She, she went to, to see if that fruit would kill her by eating it. And that's the foolishness of ungodly wisdom. It's not that she shouldn't have used her rationality. It's not that she shouldn't have used her intellect. She should have used them in a God-honoring way to say that God, God said something and someone is contradicting it. And my reasoning tells me that the one who's contradicting the Almighty is telling me a lie. <clears throat> it's no wonder that God calls that kind of wisdom, wisdom that comes from this world, he calls that foolishness. So can you see that Eve's sin was not necessarily trusting the serpent's words, it was doubting God's words and trusting in her own reasoning. That's important. Part of the lie that Satan, uh, part of the lie was, um, from Satan was that Eve would be like God, which would give her the ultimate right to trust her own reasoning. And she fell from a sincere and pure devotion to God, as we read in 2 Corinthians. She should have trusted in God's word as the ultimate standard of truth. And as we think about that, maybe that sounds too simple. Is, is that really what God wants mankind to do? To have a simple, pure devotion and trust for his word. To just open your Bible and say, no, I, I know this is true or I know this is false just because the Bible says it. Is that really what he wants us to do? To use scripture like that when, when temptation comes to us? I mean, doesn't he want us to, to do more? Well, what did Jesus do? What did the perfect man do? How could I possibly know exactly how Adam should have responded during this particular test? Well, with, with the exception of looking around for a stick to hit the, the serpent with, I, I kind of made that part up. Uh, I am confident about the part where Adam should have just recited Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the reason I say that is because that's exactly what the new and better Adam did. 
That's what the Lord Jesus did when he was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. And I want to read that account for you in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they shall bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. <clears throat> it is written, again, it is written, Be gone, Satan, for it is written. Do you also notice that Satan tried quoting Scripture back at Jesus, trying to use Scripture out of context to tempt Jesus? And at this point, what was Jesus' method of fighting against the craftiness of the devil? Again, that's very crafty. Jesus starts saying, oh, I can't do this for it's written. And Satan says, uh, hey, why don't you throw yourself off this pinnacle for it is written. Now, now Satan is using scripture. Again, this is, this is crafty, crafty work by the devil. Well, what does Jesus do? Well, you guessed it. He starts quoting even more scripture, rightly dividing the word of truth. And so that leads us to the question about how well you know your Bible. Can you fight against the flaming darts of Satan this way? How easy would it be for someone to uh, twist scripture out of context and get you to fall? Do you understand how critical it is that we read our Bible, take it in, and know it well? So then finally, what should we do? Well, it's worth noting that Adam's temptation and Jesus' temptation were very different. Adam had plenty of food, beautiful company, and a wonderful garden environment. Jesus was alone in the wilderness and 40 days starved. I've never been susceptible to Satan's attacks the way Jesus was, but I think we've all been tempted in similar ways that Adam and Eve were. The tree was good for food. Can our appetites drive us into sin? Recall Esau, who sold his birthright for a bowl of stew. But it goes far above just like hunger appetites. It goes for various types of appetites. 
how many bodily appetites can turn into occasions for sin? Do you know what I'm talking about? The fruit was delightful to look at. Can beautiful things be hung out in front of us like fish lures by the devil? Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of shiny silver. And we should ask ourselves, how many worldly goods can you think of that would be effective temptations for you? The fruit was to be desired to make one wise. Can worldly wisdom tempt us? Do we wish to appear wise in the eyes of the world? Or maybe it's just that we don't want to look like fools, the kind of fools who thump the Bible or quote the Bible. I've heard some squishy evangelicals say that Christians should stop saying the Bible says such and such. Unbelievers don't like to hear that. It's embarrassing to us, so they say. Well, tell that to Jesus, who merited the righteousness that we need to get into heaven by quoting the Bible as he fought off Satan. Now, I know very well that we don't always effectively fight off temptation and sin. That's true. We're supposed to strive to fight temptation and to gain victory over sin, but it's often the case that, that we stumble. We're weak and we're feeble, and we sometimes... It doesn't, sometimes it doesn't take very much to get us to stumble. But if we're in Christ, then he picks us up every time we fall. Remember, Satan would have had Peter and sifted him like wheat, but Jesus prayed for Peter. Satan is still crafty and is still a liar. Scripture calls him the father of lies. Satan is better at lying than we are at detecting lies. Thank God we have Jesus and all that he is for us. Thank God that he killed an animal and clothed Adam and Eve, covering their nakedness, which is a picture of what Christ does for us. Thank God that this better Adam protects his bride, the church. We want to follow our Lord's example and strategy for battling sin and battling the temptation of sin and Satan. But we know that it's not in our own strength, it's not our own doing that will get us through it. It's the strength of God and it's the grace of God working in us. One of the, one of the verses of Amazing Grace says, Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. So then in conclusion, every bad thing in this world is a result of Adam's first sin in the garden. We have to recognize that and deal with that. Death, suffering, bad attitudes, strife, every bad thing in this world, every painful thing is a result of Adam's first sin in the garden. Again, read Romans chapter 5. Satan got, Satan got to Adam, and he did it in a crafty way. Satan got to Eve to get to Adam, and he deceived her. Think about the tactics that Satan used 
and be on guard for the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Ungodly appetites, ungodly desires for things that are attractive, and an ungodly pursuit of wisdom which leads to pride. How will you handle your consumption of the things that go into your body? Food and drink and various bodily appetites. How will you handle your consumption of goods and entertainment? How will you handle your approach to thinking and learning? Now, these, these are broad categories that, that cover so much. Things that go into your body, things that fulfill various bodily appetites, that's, that's a huge category. Lots can go into that. Your consumption of goods and entertainment, another huge category. And then your approach to thinking and learning. So will you take God's word for these categories or the lies of Satan? Will you trust God's word for these categories or trust your own reasoning? Do you know God's word on these categories? Or are you a poor student of the Bible? Or maybe, maybe you're afraid that God's word will contradict your own ideas and so you don't even want to know what God says about these things. You ever feel that way? A particular area of your life? You say, I, I don't think I want to study God's word on this. I, I, I have a bad feeling that I'm going to find that, that he would disapprove of how I'm handling this particular thing. If you won't take God's word, a sincere and pure devotion to the word of Christ then you leave yourself vulnerable to the attacks of Satan. This event of the fall recorded for us is so significant, and it has a powerful lesson for us. The trouble you face in your life is tied to this event in Genesis 3. You need to recognize that. What, what a horrible event to cast the whole world into sin and under the curse of God. But praise be to God that he sent his son, as the new and better Adam, Adam sinned at a tree and cast the human family into sin and death, and Jesus died on a tree and brings everlasting life to those who are in his family. The obedience of Christ is tied to every good thing that you experience in this life. That's so important. So follow after Jesus, be a disciple of Jesus, and do what he did when he was faced with temptation. Stand firm on the word of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you gave us this story about Adam and Eve and the serpent. We know that we know how horrible that was. We know that as sons and daughters of Adam and Eve born naturally into this world that we we inherit the sin of Adam. We continue and propound the sin of Adam in our own lives. We're part of the evil and the wickedness that is experienced in this world. We're guilty of, of sin in, in various areas. And Lord, we're, we know that if it wasn't for Christ and what he's done, if it wasn't for the power of the Holy Spirit changing our hearts, 
to make us like Christ. Lord, that there would be nothing ahead of us except death and destruction and suffering. But Lord, you haven't left us alone. You, you did send your son into the world. You sent him into the world and to take on flesh as we heard about in Sunday school. Jesus did not grasp at the equality that he had with you. And his obedience and his suffering on the cross qualifies him as, as the new Adam. And those of us who are in him can expect the blessings that come and, and the eternal life that he gives. We pray, Lord, that we would consider our Lord's way of fighting against temptation, that we would be good disciples, good followers of Christ at that point, that we would know our Bibles, that we would know how to fight off lies that come from the world or from Satan or even from within ourselves. We are complex beings with the capacity to lie to ourselves. And we pray, Lord, that your word would be planted firmly in us, that we might be able to respond to the lies that come with the truth and so fight off temptation and sin and glorify you. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.